This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. We've got a wonderful practice. We get technical stuff. We get physiology. We see young people. We see old people. We see people once and never again. We see people ongoing. We kind of run the spectrum of things. So I'm a little biased. But gastroenterology's got a lot going on. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast, presented by Gastrologics. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Matthew. With me today is Dr. Michael Krinas from Gastro Health Ohio in Cincinnati. His practice has created a symposium to educate local primary care physicians about gastroenterology. And he's going to share with us how this program benefits his practice and the patients in his community. Dr. Krinas, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. We're so glad you're here. Lisa, so happy to be here. Thanks, and great to meet you. You as well. Um, so tell me a little bit more. How did you choose gastroenterology? Well, my story is a little interesting. I guess when I was a medical student, one of my last rotations was a GI rotation. And at that, at that time, they were pretty much just very intrigued with fiber optic scoping. So we didn't really see patients. We just looked at their insides. And I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to do this. I want to talk to people. My very first attending, however, as a resident was Dr. Steven Silvas, who at that time was an internationally known gastroenterologist and a super kind, super clinician who took me under his wing and would call me and we'd see patients together and show me about how to connect physiology and history and technology. He was a tech guy and I was turned on by it and then subsequently had another mentor in Dr. Joseph Kersner when I became interested in inflammatory bowel disease. Worked with Dr. Kersner and Dr. Steve Hanauer for several years at University of Chicago. So it sounds like you didn't choose gastroenterology. Gastroenterology just chose you. <laughs> you know, it's um, I've been very fortunate, and I tell my, my children and students, uh, find a mentor, find a meaningful mentor if you can find one. It, it just it makes all the difference. It has tremendous impacts on all of our careers. Um, and then how did you choose private practice? So I was uh, at University of Chicago doing, starting some academic kind of stuff, and I realized, you know, I'm not a guy that wants to like being applied for grants. I like talking to patients. And so family in Cincinnati, knew the practice in Cincinnati. It's a wonderful, we have a wonderful practice. We, um, it's fairly academic. We do a lot of teaching with our hospitals, and we do clinical research for, for decades and a lot of clinical research. So really kind of via private practice, kept our hands in the uh, academic setting, so to speak. And can you tell us a little bit more about your practice um, setup? How many physicians, what does your practice look like? So we, uh, like the trend is currently happening, joined a national group, we joined GastroHealth a year ago, uh, one year ago. And there were 20 of us then, there's 40 of us, 40, actually 44 of us now, because we've actually acquired other uh, Ohio practices. So we're part of a large national group, which actually is a very interesting transition, which we could probably do a whole separate podcast on. So, but yeah, it's, a, it's been a very interesting ride so far. Nice. Um, and you have a pretty interesting program uh, in your practice for outreach and education for primary care physicians. Uh, tell us more about that. So, you know, as I mentioned, we have been very much interested and involved, many of us in education. And that's not just for our patients and their families, but for physicians locally, and it serves several purposes. So we um, established a, we call it a, C, a CME symposium for primary care, 22, well, it'll be 20 or 22nd year coming up annually. And um, 
way back when it was easy to get people to come because you could buy them theater tickets and have a nice meal and you know there was a nice hook there that went bye-bye with pharma changes appropriately and so now we devised a way to do it to still keep the um, attendance very strong and keep the education going so we educate people it's one one day a year it's a saturday afternoon and i'm happy to share with you how we organize it um, I guess, you know, there are multiple concepts, but one is that, you know, when we all go to lectures, you know, after a certain amount of time, you're kind of getting a little bored. I don't care how good the speaker is. So I've limited it. There's six 30 minute talks. And one, one highlight, one very important thing is we stay on time. I don't want to keep people later than they, than they need to be. So 30 minute talks. So everybody stays awake and they're all very clinically focused very practical it's a very kind of a casual environment and we don't have a lot of statistics and charts and graphs very focused and we I encourage my speakers to throw a little humor in there too to keep people entertained and awake because it's not just primary care it's mainly primary care but it's also some more endo nurses and hospital nurses as well and so that's you know it's a wonderful opportunity for for education that's fantastic i think it's incredibly important and facilitates I suspect some really nice conversations with your referring providers. Um, I would love to hear more about how this is organized, um, a little bit more of the details of how this has evolved over time. Sure. Well, you know, everyone's so darn busy. Primary, we're all so busy. And I think for primary care docs, who really are trying to keep up with all of medicine. I mean, that's so daunting. So hopefully we at least take the digestive burden off their hands by annually presenting them with what's the updates, kind of state-of-the-art talks in what's happening in gastroenterology. So the way we do it, so let me talk about a few things. So there's different aspects. So there's the social aspect, which I think is a big a big hook for people. You know, primary care docs aren't in the hospital anymore seeing each other. They're in their offices all day. So that camaraderie has kind of gone away. So they really appreciate, and we of course appreciate, getting people together so they can see each other and hobnob and socialize. So there's a wonderful social aspect of it. So we start the lunch at noon. And the program doesn't start till 12.50, so there's a good period of time for the docs to socialize with each other and for us to socialize with them to kind of schmooze with our primary care. And a lot of the people that come aren't necessarily even referring doctors that we work with, but hopefully will be after they get to know us a little better. So at noon, the program starts, and at 12.50, we come on and I do an introduction. Introduction is about 10 minutes. And that's the, it is clearly marketing. Um, I present to them what's happening with the practice, the different programs. We have inflammatory bowel disease program. We have women's health program, colorectal cancer screening program, our liver programs. Talk to them about what's new, new technology we're doing, new people that are joining the practice. So let them know what, what's our Ohio, now known as Ohio Gastro Health. What is Ohio Gastro Health up to in the past year? Then the program starts at one o'clock and every half an hour there's a talk. And I'm very diligent about my speakers. When the 30 minutes is coming up, I'm like, the X is up, the hook is out, and we got to stay on time. There's a break in between. There's three talks. Then there's a break in between, 15-minute break. Again, people get to socialize, grab a little caffeine <laughs> to make sure they stay awake, see each other, and see us a little bit too as well. And then three more talks, and then we're done. Ahead of time, we advertise or uh, notify people about it way ahead of time. And one of the things, I write a letter to everyone and I say, this year's conference will have these great talks, blah, 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 blah. And we've already ordered up a cold, blistery winter day so they're not missing anything. They can come and, and warm up with colleagues and friends and feel like they're not missing anything. 
And so they had the morning to be with their family, a cold winter afternoon to be with us, and then go home. And then we get a little treat to take home. We give them a little thing. So um, one of the things that um, you have to do to get, so, so it's a CME program, and regulatory-wise, to, to get CMEs, you have to have an outside speaker. CME departments consider it to be marketing if it's just you. So we always have an outside speaker. We've had some really interesting outside speakers. They aren't GI speakers typically. Um, but we have, um, well, we had medical marijuana a couple years ago, and um, at the end of the at the end of the day, we everybody a little treat to take home. Usually a chocolate bar with our logo on it. This year we gave them a chocolate brownie. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> Maybe you get the significance there, <laughs> but we have other things. You know, we have talks on stress management, and um, we did one on medical malpractice one year, and um, all kinds of things to make it fun. Things that are out of the box could be sleep disorders, and really kind of make it interesting. And hopefully, topics that they haven't heard about either. We did CSI Cincinnati a couple of years ago. We had the, the forensic team come in and present real cases that they did. So things like that. It's pretty cool. That's really interesting. Yeah, that would be a draw for me too. <laughs> I mean, that's a fascinating lineup and the fact that you can apparently control the weather and find a day that will be very unpleasant for your <laughs> attendees <laughs> to do anything but hang out with you is very important as well. Um, so you touched on uh, some of the regulations surrounding an event like this and um, how to qualify for CME credit. Um, educate us more about that. My understanding is that it's a little bit challenging to meet those criteria. So I'm curious to learn more. So, you know, we're kind of a well-greased machine at this point, so it's been easier for us. But um, our, one of our hospitals has a CME department that we work with, and we just submit to them all the information. And all you really need to do is put together your lineup. Each speaker has to have, of course, the objectives of the talk. You know, um, the participant will understand X, Y, and Z about that topic kind of thing. And, the, and then you have to be careful about the support that you get for it. So, of course, we're not giving anybody any you know, gifts anymore, a brownie or a cookie or something at the end, but um, nothing like that. And, we, and you account for all the finances. And the finance, the, all the finances run through the CME department as well, through the hospital, not through us. Historically, pre-COVID, pre-virtual seminars, we have a lot of pharmaceutical support. In fact, honestly, the, the pharma support is enough to, to uh, support the entire event for us. And I should mention, by the way, this is off regulatory for a minute, but it's very important to mention before I forget, one of the, one of the wonderful hooks that we have, I, I think that it helps, if we provide a great lunch. In fact, we serve lobster tails and beef tenderloin and vegetarian dishes and all kinds of things too. So people aren't just coming out for a little, you know, a hamburgers and hot dogs. So that's all acceptable, but no gifts or anything. And, f and so that can be kind of expensive and pharma does support that. But as long as you, you know, are upfront with all the funding and everything, CME has not, not been a problem for us. That's great. And um, how do you advertise this to your PCPs and other referring providers? So we have, uh, we've generated an email list. So we send out, um, we send out mail, snail mail reminders, um, save the date kind of thing ahead of time. And then we have email lists that are just general email lists for primary care throughout the, throughout the area. But also some of our hospitals have given, let us use their email list that they send to their providers as well. And that's that's been a big help as well. So it draws, you know, it draws mainly from our many hospital systems here in Cincinnati and a little bit around the area as well. I mean, I, I clearly am getting the picture that, that you've created something pretty special here. Um, if practice leaders were interested in starting a symposium like this, say in Colorado, uh, what advice would you give them? 
I'd say go for it. Actually, it's you know, it's it's fun. Uh, we enjoy it, and it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to see your colleagues, to see the primary care that you never see anymore because everybody's either in their offices or whatever. So I would say definitely go for it. And it's it's again, it's not that hard to put it together. The key is to keep it simple, stupid, right? Um, multiple. I think I think our recipe that we have has worked very well. So. Um, attendance wise, at least as we know, like we get invited, you and I, we all get invited to all these seminars all the time. Most of them are pharmaceutical supported, you know, about a certain drug. Those, those are terrible. I don't know. I mean, you probably give, do these talks. I've been giving these talks over the years. I kind of stopped because the pharmaceutical companies now require us to use their slide sets. So I find these talks are very rote and very boring and very focused and not allowing us to ad lib and really kind of educate people the way you and I might do on our own. So this is definitely an opportunity to do that and um, take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. We get, we get, we get a good turn, by the way, I was gonna say, we get a good turnout. You know, the, the dinner programs that the pharma people put out, I don't know how many people go, but I know it's not a lot. We get 100 to 150 people come to this thing every year. Wow. Which I think is, and I think at that point, remarkable. it kind of, you know, develops a little bit of an energy all of its own because it's now an opportunity to really socialize and interact with each other professionally, which is, as you've mentioned, really hard to do, particularly in the last year and a half. Um, I think these are rare and actually really wonderful opportunities professionally. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you, you were busy all morning doing colonoscopies and sending uh, polypectin reports to your referring docs, and that's wonderful. But boy, if you had a chance to actually meet with them and discuss the cases, that's more wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of touched on a lot of this throughout our conversation, but I'm, I'm curious if there are, of how you would answer the question of, you know, what do you really view as the benefit for uh, a symposium like this to your practice and your patients? Yeah, it's a really great and important question, Lisa. Thank you. I think that, you know, it's so multi-pronged in terms of its benefit. I mean, the patients clearly benefit because hopefully their doctors are leaving with very practical advice. We keep these talks uh, on topics that are very relevant to primary care. So they're hopefully going home with better information to treat their patients. When to refer, yeah, that may be too, but also how to actually take care of the more simple things that they don't need us for. And um, we get feedback every year that, that's, that, they, that gets accomplished. So patient education via physician education and then, of course, the social aspect. Yeah, the marketing is there too, but it's it's awfully nice to see people. And especially this coming year, we hope to be in person. Last year, actually, we were virtual. And that was interesting in and of itself <laughs> to do this whole thing virtually, but it worked, it worked, but it certainly lacked that wonderful social quality that we all, we all really need. Yeah, yeah. I am always struck by how fulfilling it is to be able to just talk about a case with a colleague. Um, and of course, this is a little bit of a different forum, but building those relationships and having those lines of communication open, I think, benefit us as professionals. It makes us feel a part of something bigger, and it certainly benefits our patients to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody you know and, and really discuss a case thoroughly. Um, you can see where this is really laying the groundwork for just a much more robust communication in your community. Thank you. So, so true. And among practitioners that have been practicing for years and the new ones as well that we haven't even got a chance to meet. I mean, you and I both probably are sending letters to, to doctors we've never even met and taking care of their patients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of a change of topic, but you've been you've been in private practice now for a bit. 
What advice do you have for somebody who's just looking to go into GI private practice? Well, I still think, you know, medicine's, we all say medicine's changing, but, you know, medicine's been changing for decades. Um, and so people are sometimes shying away from medicine or GI or anything else. But I always <clears throat> tell my students, and our residents, go for what you believe in and what, what turns you on. If you have a mentor, that's great. But, you know, some if the light switch goes on, that's where you want to go. And medicine is still a wonderful practice. I mean, in gastroenterology, as most of, I don't know how many people listening to this podcast are GI docs, but those that are understand, we've got a wonderful practice. We get technical stuff. We get physiology. We see young people. We see old people. We see people once and never again. We see people ongoing. We kind of run the spectrum of things. So I'm a little biased, but gastroenterology has got a lot going on. I'm, I'm with you in that bias. <laughs> I think it's, it's a wonderful area to practice within. And, and I'm always struck by how um, if, you, if you go into practice for the right reasons and you are working with like-minded individuals, how extraordinary your career can be um, within GI. And it sounds like that's really been your experience as well. You put that very well. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Well, Dr. Krynas, thank you so much for joining us. This has been delightful. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.